Welcome back to Studio Stories. I'm your host, Eve Langhorne, and today we're speaking to Alice from Alice in Type 1 Durand to speak about her experience of living with type 1 diabetes and also having children. Hi Alice, thank you so much for joining me today. So today we're chatting about your experience with diabetes, but also about you being a mother to Matilda and Florence. So do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Hi, yeah, so I'm Alice um, and I am a type 1 diabetic. I have been since I was, I think I was 11 when I was diagnosed. Um, So I've had it quite a while now. Um, And yeah, that's kind of on a base level who I am. I'm married to Kev, been married six years, been together 12, live in a little village down in West Sussex. And yes, mother to Matilda, who's two, and Florence, who is three months old. So she was a COVID baby, you can say. Yes, lockdown baby, COVID baby. She will have that on her um, record for the rest of her life, poor child. (laughs) Oh no, I think it's great. It's it's going to be in history forever. So how did you find out you had diabetes and which type did you say you had? So I'm type one Mm -hmm. um, and there's there's actually more types than people realise. But yeah, I'm type one, which is they also call like juvenile diabetes. So it's more common to get washed in childhood and a young age. Um, I just need to quickly say as well that because there are so many types now being found, there's three main ones, which most people have heard about and are common type one, type two and gestational, but there's so many others. So whatever I say today, please be aware that that's kind of my experience, my knowledge of it. I'd like to think I'm quite knowledgeable at different types of diabetes, but every person's different and each you know with friends of mine that are also type 1 diabetics even their management and their day-to-day same disease but it's ever so slightly different so if anyone listening has knowledge of diabetes you know just a quick pre-warning that it can differ don't take every single word as I say but yeah I was actually really lucky in how I was diagnosed because I'm not just the only diabetic in my family I'm type 1 um, from age 11 my brother who is older, is also type 1, diagnosed age 11. And my mum is a, a rare form of type 1 called LADA, um, and she was diagnosed in her 60s. So there's three of us in our family. So when I was diagnosed, yeah, I was so lucky. We were a really sporty family. I was very slim, really energetic, doing lots of stuff. But my mum picked up on the symptoms before, before it was actually possible to really realise I was diabetic purely because of my brother and she'd have seen the symptoms before and knew what to look out for and she had a home testing kit she checked my blood sugars rang the GP surgery that day and said look I don't things are quite I don't think things are quite right here they saw me that day and the next day I was at the hospital for a week's admission and yeah diagnosis happened so quickly there are some cases where you know that diagnosis stage can be fatal and people are seriously ill in intensive care and I kind of strolled in quite a healthy child. But um, the problem is, is a lot of the symptoms are um, thirst, weight loss, tiredness, like excessive going to the toilet, um, vision blurring and cuts and things not healing properly, things like that. So it was quite hidden for me being a sporty 10, 11 year old doing things like hockey and cross country running and basketball. I was always kind of losing weight, always tired, professional swimming, things like that. So yeah, I was, I was weird. So lucky in how I was diagnosed. Yeah, and you mentioned that you're type one. So what is the difference between the three main types that you mentioned? 
So type one, the differences are really how, how it comes around. Um, type one is an autoimmune disease. Your body attacks itself and you require insulin. There's no cure. There's no prevention. It's very, you know, black and white. You, you have diabetes. You need insulin. You'll need it for the rest of your life. Whereas type two is more common in adults. Um, it's more of a lifestyle thing, although there are some genetics there. And that's where the body doesn't use the insulin correctly. And it can be at first, in many cases, managed by weight and lifestyle changes. Um, and some type twos can eventually end up on insulin. They still remain type two. They don't, it's not, you know, it's one or the other. You don't become one. So that's type two. It's mostly management by lifestyle, then going on to tablets or insulin. And then there's gestational diabetes, which is what a lot of pregnant women get um, during pregnancy. And for the majority, it's temporary. It can come on during the pregnancy and at the moment the baby's born, it goes. So they kind of use a lot less levels of management of insulin because it's, it's quite new to the body. And that's mostly to do with all the hormones and the pregnancy hormones can make you more insulin resistant, which means the insulin doesn't really work as well as it should, which is also why diabetes and type 1 mums during their pregnancy struggle a lot with control and why it's deemed to be a high risk pregnancy. But yeah, then there's a couple of others, like I mentioned, LADA, which is what they call type 1.5. And it's a rarer form of type 1. Um, and it, it kind of comes on an adulthood and it can take about three or four years for those early symptoms to develop into full whack diabetes. So I think my mum was on absolute minimal insulin for about three years until it's kind of gone, oh, actually, I'm fully stopped now. This is kind of it. And then there's, you know, there's neonatal diabetes, which is just a bit heartbreaking. And that's from birth. And sometimes it goes away during childhood for a few years and comes back. Others, it's, it's permanent from birth for the rest of their life. Wow, I honestly didn't know there was like so many different types. I honestly thought there was like two types. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I know of at least six kind of specific types that are openly spoken about. But yeah, it's, and each different one's got different like kind of ways that people treat it and manage it. And oh, it's a minefield. Mm. Yeah. So how does your type one diabetes impact your life day to day? Oh, every way possible. Um, really? I think deep down, I think it's really best to embrace your diabetes. I think during my teenage years, I thought, you know, I'm not going to let it define me. I'm not going to let it become who I am. And I, I became seriously ill a couple of times. I was hospitalized with DKA, which is diabetes ketoacidosis. And it's pretty much in layman's term, you go into a bit of a coma, your body starts eating itself <laughs> in the nicest way of putting it. I, yeah, I kind of ignored my diabetes, became really ill and um, I had appendicitis and so any form of infection or things can really mess up your diabetes control and actually there was a point where I was in intensive care and my parents were rung to say we're not sure she's going to make it so oh let's God. get in and kind of have a chat about this and yeah teenagers it seems to be quite common people don't they ignore their diabetes management and it was only actually when we were trying to conceive when we got married and I really kind of I grew up as a person I realized life skills I got married I bought a house we had pets and things like that and I thought, well, I'm just going to make myself ill and I, I want to have children. I want to be there. I don't want to be healthy. I don't want complications. I don't want to lose my eyesight. I don't want to have my, you know, parts of my body amputated. I, I don't yeah. want to become blind. I want to be healthy and happy for future children. Day to day, really. So you have 
a, a low blood sugar or a high blood sugar. So it's called a hypoglycemia. And that's if your blood sugar drops below what it should be. And it kind of gives your body a symptoms of like you're drunk. You get blurry vision, you get the shakes, it's hunger, it's thirst. It just kind of overwhelms your entire body. And then obviously you have to treat that with, with glucose of some sort, whether it's sweets or fruit juice or, or food in that sense. Um, and then you can have hyperglycemia, which is when your blood sugars are too high. And then that's treated with insulin to bring your, black, your blood sugars back down into range. And again, that's kind of gives you the feeling of being hungover. It's a severe headache. You get a really pasty mouth, feel really nauseous, very irritable. Diabetes, it's, it controls your moods in complete crazy ways. Yeah, it's aiming for that perfect range of not being either of those and trying to live that normal life. And then silly little things like stress, exercise, illness, um, things like that can, can make your levels change without you doing anything to them kind of hormones can make the differences and uh, make your blood sugar high if you're stressed or low if you're doing exercise and yeah food is a really big part in a lot of diabetics lives you have to carb count so you have to look at what you're eating and then work out your ratios of insulin and over how many hours should you split your insulin dose compared to the fat count so it's kind of it's it can be very overwhelming and um, mm. there's a thing called diabetes burnout which is quite common and is really, really high uh, percentages of um, mental health issues amongst diabetics. And this is where I'm, I'm really positive about my diabetes. I'm a diabetic. I'm, I'm proud to be diabetic. It's, it made me grow up at a young age. It's given me a lot of independence and confidence in life. And it's that embracing it, which I think makes a world of difference in a diabetic's personal control. And they need to feel that themselves if you if you nag a diabetic you shouldn't be eating that check your sugars they will rebel I rebel yeah people I know it's kind of one of these things and you say you um ignored it when you were in your teenage years what did you what do you mean by that most diabetics they they should in theory chest their blood sugars you know eight to ten times a day inject every meal uh, there's a oh, well, insulin's a bit tricky there's two different types there's a long-lasting and, the, uh, and there's a quick acting. So you take one that's a background drip feed all day, and then you there's a different type, the fast acting, which you take for correction doses and at meal times. Um, and I just never used to inject. I would eat chocolate. You know, if I got home and my mum was like, "Oh, how are your diabetes?" I was like, "Oh, it's fine." Knowing for a while, I hadn't checked in about two three days, and it was just not focusing, not testing, not injecting, eating. You know, a diabetic can eat what they want as long as they manage the insulin to counteract that. But I would just, I remember a friend of mine, I was just eating a Kit Kat. She's like, you're not going to inject for that one now. I'm not going to bother. And um, that was actually the week before I fell really ill. And I remember to this day, she'll never let that go. I didn't embrace it. I ignored it. I didn't take my insulin. I didn't check my sugar levels. And there was a result. I became very, very unwell for quite a while. But obviously now you look after and manage your diabetes really well. But how do you deal with it sort of day to day and stay so positive? I think one of the things that really helped me is the advance in technology. So when I was growing up, having insulin injections, uh, you know, that was 10 plus times a day with my long acting twice every meal time, every time I ate a snack. I actually find now in my 30s that even a cup of tea, the small amount of milk will raise my blood sugars. Well, I'm not sure if people are aware that the little small white discs people wear on their arms, it's called the Libra. 
and it's, it's yes I've seen those on a few people out in public yeah and it's it's flash glucose monitoring so you've actually got a cannula little filament in your arm and you scan it like a barcode so there's no need to prick your fingers and actually draw blood it sits on your arm for two weeks that technology not having to test my blood sugars just to look at a phone screen to see a live graph of what my sugars are doing with a little arrow saying oh they're going up they're going down it just makes it so much easier and then I actually am on an insulin pump so instead of taking injections I I'm on an amazing pump called an Omnipod which a lot of diabetics um, have tube pumps and that's something people might see in public it's like a little pager they wear on their hips and it's got a, a tube and then a cannula um, and it drip feeds insulin. I've actually got a tubeless one and it, it's just a round disc that sticks to me. It's got insulin preloaded and a cannula uh, stuck to the skin and it drip feeds me my background insulin. Um, and then all I do is I type on my little machine what insulin I need at mealtimes or corrections. So actually, instead of having my eight to 10 injections a day, I probably alter and play with my diabetes management about 20 times. Um, so that advance in technology is really kind of was a, a game changer for me. And I bet with more, um, as we go into like the future, there's going to be more and more um, improvements in the diabetes world anyway. I bet if you look back when you were 11 year old girl and see how far the technology's come now, if you think another 20 to 30 years, how I think it's just going to get easier. Oh, definitely. There are even pre-children i would have done this uh what they call diy looping and it's using different technologies and different systems and kind of encrypted machines to create this artificial you know the blood glucose monitor talks to the pump and it, it kind of does it like a little bit like an artificial pancreas yourself by making this technology talk but it it takes a lot of effort and the know-how to set it up that being a mum with two children, two and under, just I don't have time for um, to maintain that kind of level of advanced technology to do that myself. Yeah, and you now have two little girls now that you mentioned before, Matilda and Florence, yep. and you've spoken quite openly about your fertility struggles. So can you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah, it's actually something I've not really gone into detail before on my on my posts. It's, at the time, I'd mentioned quite a lot of it at stories, but we didn't really know where our journey was taking us. So at the time I kept it to myself and it was only afterwards that we shared bits. So it's actually quite nice to, now I've you know got my daughters to be able to talk about it. Um, so we got married in 2014 and, and tried to conceive for about four years with my health and issues, um, other things aside from diabetes. There was this debate whether I had polycystic ovaries or there was a question mark over endometriosis. There were, there were these background issues and we couldn't fall pregnant and these miscarriages. And I spoke to my GP who is actually, she's now retired, but she'd been my GP my entire life and was there through my entire family, really. And she just went, I thought this might come up. I thought there might be an issue because of the way your body works and your health issues. So I'm going to get you referred quite early on to a specialist and we'll just get things checked over. And to this day, I think we could be stuck in the system a lot longer if it wasn't for her and her know-how and the fact that she's so invested in, in me and my health. She knew, she knew our background, she knew our history. So we were we referred quite early on to some local specialists. Um, and we had what was known as un, you know, unknown fertility struggles. We they didn't know what was wrong, but they knew that there was something wrong. So we, after probably several months to almost a year, we were 
sent down to a local fertility clinic and center and, and they also came back with a you're both okay but we don't really know what's going on I think you you do need some help but we we don't know what these problems are you know there are some cysts and some growth there we're not sure what the issue is but the hormone treatments might help um so yeah we we went through the IVF and we had two failed rounds um one that took uh, one that was actually a miscarriage we decided that we had one final attempt to get pregnant and we kind of thought this is it at that time in life we couldn't really afford to go down the route of non-nhs supported ivf because it's it can be very pricey and we said right we've got 17 weddings coming up in the next year uh oh got, my god yeah, 17 <laughs> 17 weddings in a year it was, it was a very 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 fun year and we said let's take a break we were due to go and visit my brother one of my brothers who lives in amsterdam for a week's holiday and we had some camping trips coming up we went you know what let's put this on pause um because the ivf with my diabetes again like i mentioned earlier the hormones affect you so much i was really ill i think i had a total of about six weeks off work from the ivf treatment where i just was too unwell to function i was having about six or seven hypos a day so we said yeah let's take a break let's enjoy the summer let's celebrate the weddings coming up let's go to amsterdam let's drink all the alcohol we want let's eat all the cheeses let's just enjoy life and and try again in the winter yeah and the next month we found out we were pregnant with matilda it was a mindset i know people say that you relieve the stress and when you stop trying that's when you fall and and it worked but it was difficult it was a really difficult pregnancy and um i was constantly at least the first 20 weeks every single time i went to the toilet i was worried there'd be blood i was worried any any tweak or pain i thought i thought the worst was going to happen so we always refer to Matilda as our little miracle baby. You know, after years of of it might not happen for you to fall pregnant at that moment was just incredible. But then obviously I was uh, pregnant for all those weddings. So my friends and my <laughs> husband loved having designated driver. That's great. And then what about Florence? For Florence was completely natural. We We got to kind of thinking, right, let's have a second... We might need to go down the IVF route. We don't know what happened with Matilda. We were so lucky. Let's let's start trying and see what happens. And yeah, we fell with her quite quickly. It was only about two or three months. Um, oh, that's so amazing. So it was. It was. Sh- we were both absolutely shocked. It, we'd kind of started the conversations of you know what what are we going to do if this doesn't work? And yeah, we were completely sidetracked with her. We we kind of were hoping for a little bit more of an age gap but I'm just so happy to have both my girls, really. How was your pregnancy and and birth with both of them? (laughs) Um, Yes. You can be honest. Good question. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's just put it this way. I have a very good relationship with my diabetes nurse and uh, and my team, and they quite bluntly, after having Florence, said, right, that's it, right? You're not, don't do this to us again. Both were very high-risk pregnancies. Both needed a lot of monitoring. Both were very touch and go the entire way through. And Matilda's birth was deemed trauma. And there's actually open cases, you know, with the hospital about some ways it was managed. And yeah, both very difficult pregnancies followed by a a particularly difficult and risky birth with with Matilda and a very emotional pandemic birth with Florence. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. Do you know what? Yeah. It's that positive outlook. I've got two happy, healthy daughters. You know, some people 
don't have that. I think going through the IVF journey and being aware of, of things, uh, a, a friend of mine, people I know went to hospital, had a child and didn't get to bring those child, children home. Yeah. I'm just really lucky I've got two, two healthy girls at the end of it. And I think being aware of my body, having this diabetes management and health issues in my life, it doesn't phase me, those things. I know I'm in the best team, the hands of the best team and things like that. It's, it's, it's risky, it's touch and go, it's, it's concerning. But once it's over, it's, it's the best feeling ever. And did I know you've spoken about this previous, but did your diabetes impact your pregnancy in any way I know you said you were monitored a lot and it was high risk um but yeah just go into more detail if you would yeah no definitely um so obviously as a type 1 diabetic I was diabetic for my life through both pregnancies um and yeah it did affect it um all diabetics are deemed automatically into a higher risk category um you need more follow-ups more you know obstetricians consultants I think I had a team of six or seven medical professionals around me supporting me um and you have you know the maximum amount of scans and and things like that regular checkups and you're you're seen under a on a high risk clinic day where the specialists are there it's not just you go and have your scan and you leave my appointments were three four hours long where I'd go in see the midwife have my scan see the obstetrician see the diabetic team you know you book an afternoon off work to go to go and have have this catch up with them all at the hospital both my pregnancies I I suffered uh, pelvic skeletal issues uh, with Matilda's pregnancy. Particularly, I had something called polyhydramnios, which is too much amniotic fluid, and and that's a side, can be a quite a common side effect with with diabetics. It's it's annoyingly most common with less well controlled diabetes. The amount of insulin and and the baby urinates more, and you need to have more amniotic fluid. My diabetes team tell me I've just got really bad luck because all these complications that you should have that are more common in, in poorly controlled diabetes care or, sorry, that sounds negative, in not so great control. I had clinically proven, quotation marks, perfect control through both pregnancies and we just ticked all the side effect boxes. Yeah, I don't even know why we had a second, to be fair. But, um, <laughs> a really common side effect for diabetic pregnancies are are big babies it's 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 common people say oh it's not necessarily true you might not but it's more common than people realize and again I had perfect control and the growth the growth charts are just showing a really large stomach and um, they start worrying with things like that so again both girls had that Florence was a 37 weeker um, but Matilda was born at 35 weeks um, and that was an induction because her growth was quite large off the charts and I had a week where my blood sugars kept dropping and plummeting for no reason there was no pattern and they brought me in and said look you've got your bag packed in the car haven't you just chit chit chat let's get you in let's have a check at your blood sugars Uh, I went in on the 17th of December and I didn't go home until she was born because uh, one thing they don't tell you kind of as a warning they don't want to panic you is those drops in blood sugars are quite commonly linked to preeclampsia and they went mm. right we think you've got preeclampsia let's get this let's get this going um so then I was induced but um because of being 35 weeks we got rushed from our main hospital down to uh the one with the more specialist premier unit down um in Brighton with the Trevor Man baby unit which is absolutely the most incredible place 
amazing staff, amazing technology. They're just, we owe both our girls' lives to them, really. But yeah, so with Matilda's pregnancy, we had all those complications. Um, my body took a battering, but she was really, she did brilliantly. She was born 35 weeks, weighing seven pounds 10. Um, but her birth was really difficult. The, my stats kept dropping, her stats kept dropping. Um, the induction went a bit wrong. There was lots of complications. Um, there were some human errors as well as the health problems that I had. And um, she ended up being a forcep delivery, mm. um, episiotomies. And uh, I then fell very ill afterwards and had uh, retained placenta. And I got knocked out whilst they sorted all that out. But she got, she stopped breathing and needed to be resuscitated and Gosh. was taken straight up to um, the special care baby unit. But she did incredible. Bearing in mind, this was the 23rd of December. Um, so oh goodness yeah we had Christmas that year spent in special care and it was it was so well thought out it was magical they did hampers for the parents stockings for the babies the local oh, charity they just made it it was a magical time and it it took a lot of that worry and panic and fear away and kind of gave you this moment um but yes Matilda's birth was it was traumatic they deemed it medically a trauma birth there were a lot of complications and there was actually an, an issue where instead of drip, uh, hooking me up to an IV fluid they'd hook me up to two glucose bags so I fell very ill in the pregnancy oh, and no. um, was having extra insulin so kind of long story short Matilda was born and her blood sugars are plummeting because her pancreas started working and um she had high blood sugars, but her pancreas was going, right, quick, quick, let's make some insulin and, and make you feel better. But she came on really quickly, and we were only in hospital for about a week with her. And, she, yeah, we came home on New Year's, New Year's Eve at 10 o'clock at night. So oh, just home. in time. We were living with my parents. We were, at, we were during a house move at the time as well, which wasn't stressful. So we came home at 10 o'clock at night to a Christmas dinner, and then we saw, saw New Year's in with some champagne to celebrate. How did you recover sort of mentally from all the trauma? I I didn't, in all honesty. I mm. I kind of swept under the carpet. I got rolled up in the newborn thing. I kind of forgot about it for quite a while. Uh, there was a lot of unknown because the hospital did their own investigations into some certain things that were going on. And I just went, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want this. If you feel like you need to do it as an educational purpose, but I'm, I'm happy. I've got my daughter. I'm we're yeah. healthy. Let's just kind of get over this. Um, but again, I put it all down to my diabetes nurse. She is just the most incredible woman and she's so supportive. And she said, you know, let's pull. She was also a midwife previously. So she said, let's pull your notes out. Let's go through it. Let's have a conversation. And um, I accepted it. I got on with it. And um, it all came flooding back the day of having Florence. Florence was actually a planned C-section because of the issues from Matilda's birth. Because I don't know if I said this, Matilda um, had shoulder dystocia as well. So she got stuck because of how how big she was they um with Florence kind of don't we're going to have a c-section we don't we can't risk it your medical history and all these things and I sat uh, preparing for my c-section two emergencies got in before us so I was already like a bit nervous a bit concerned it's a pandemic I've already been in the hospital for five days having steroids I haven't seen Matilda really more than three hours and they moved me to a side room, which was the recovery room that I was taken to after having Matilda and, and I was kind of knocked out. Mm. And I, I think I cried for probably about four hours. 
Um, oh gosh. It all just like, came back. Yeah, it all just, it was like a flashbulb memory. I remembered exactly the sounds, the smells, the noises, the room was exactly how it was. And it just, it all came back. And I, I think at the time I just went, I don't think I was over this. I didn't realise because Florence's pregnancy, although I had similar complications from the diabetes, you know, she didn't have the diabetes complications until the very end that, you know, the excess growth, the thing she was, this was all just complete curveball. We were expecting the worst and this, this other stuff started happening. And so she, she was a really worrying pregnancy for her own reasons. And it was things like, um, they kind of figured out that it was, uh, from the blood transfusion I had following Matilda's birth that Mm. kind of triggered these antigen issues. So through her pregnancy as well, it was this kind of thinking back to Matilda's birth, you know, if it hadn't gone that way, this wouldn't have been happening for Florence. And I think it was always in the back of my mind, but I was okay with it until the moment of Florence's birth. Yeah. So she was a, she was a planned C-section and um, because she was, she was growing big from the, from the word go, there was concerns over her, the dating and they were like, Oh no, this is just a big baby. And because we were having such regular scans, they, you know, that was, that was shown in evidence. And so she was a planned C-section um, at 37 weeks and she actually weighed uh, nine pounds six. Wow. Big baby. Um, yeah. So they yeah, they probably both would have been probably 11 pounders if they were. If they'd full if they'd term. Gone full term. Wow. Yeah. I also need to add that there are many diabetics I know that have had similar births. There are many that have had absolutely normal births it's just a bit of a luck of the draw a bit of the control a bit of the genetics it's all a bit of a mix so if any diabetics are listening don't fear I was just a particularly unlucky case in some (laughs) ways my last question for today is what is the main mantra you live your life by and why it's going to sound a bit negative but prepare for the worst because anything else is a positive and that's no, why I, I think talk- that's, I think that's a good yeah. one. It's something that I spoke to myself about with with my pregnancies, with the with the fertility treatments. Just you know, don't be negative. But as long as you're prepared for the worst case scenario, anything that comes from it is going to be a positive, and it's going to mean so much more to you. Alice, that has been so incredibly informative. Myself personally, I didn't know a lot about diabetes, but after listening to you, that is very eye opening and very interesting. Um, I'm going to pop a few links below this podcast to your Instagram, which is Alice in Type Wonderland. So go check out Alice's Instagram um, and her blog as well. I'll pop a link to that below as well. Thank you so much for coming on and taking time out today. I know um, your children are asleep right now, so let's hope they don't start <laughs> screaming and waking up. Yeah, a natural podcast guest you are. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and let's catch up soon. Yes, please. Bye. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review.